It's me, Michael Anthony Giudicissi. Welcome to All Things Billy. And for our third of four special editions, the download of the Back to Billy audiobook. Absolutely free. I've heard from a number of you that are enjoying it, maybe even a little confused by the first bit of the book. But we're halfway through and we're heading into chapters 41 through 60 today. And uh, just as a recap, at the end of chapter 40, Martin wound up back in Lincoln, back in the present. He was so close to his forever with Rosita and tripped and fell on the front stoop, knocked him all the way back to modern day. Lily, on the other hand, was having her own adventure in modern day, <laughs> which you probably figured out. And uh, this very shortly marks the end of the Teebs trip to New Mexico, to Lincoln. And Martin is going to have a very tough time with this, and he's going to have to figure out some way to get back. How could he just leave as close as he was to the nirvana that he thought he wanted? Well, I'm going to uh, be quiet. And we're going to roll the rest of, or the next one-fourth of, 41 through 60 chapters of Back to Billy. There's one more part to come. That should upload tomorrow. You'll have the complete book. You'll want to make sure you download it to your device if you want to listen to it again. Take it on the road with you. Take it on an airplane where you don't even have to wear a mask anymore. Of course, uh, if you uh, fall in love with the strange, twisted tale of Martin Teebs, head over to mankindpro.com. And you can uh, buy the rest of the books in uh, like real hard copy and read them. Um, the sixth book in the series, Four Empty Graves, is also available in ebook format. So uh, you have some choices there. You can always email me, BillyTheKidRidesAgain at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at BTKRides. Without further ado, Martin's waiting. Lily's waiting. Rosita's really waiting. And Billy's, Billy's just fighting to the death. Let's go one more time. Back to Billy. Chapter 41 The cool air streaming from the overhead vent was in stark contrast to the dry desert air that Teebs had just spent almost a week in. Martin sat stiffly in his too small coach seat, staring ahead, replaying the evidence of past and present. Well, that was... Lily paused to find the right word. Interesting, wasn't it, Martin? Martin continued, lost in his own thoughts. More than in his real modern life, in the past he was a failure. He'd failed to recover his book from Billy. He'd murdered a legally appointed officer of the law. And in his most spectacular failure, he hadn't been able to impregnate Rosita as history demanded. He wondered, was history already changed? Would little Martin Jr. cease to exist? After his breakdown on the main street, he hadn't the forethought to look at Rosita's picture in the main Patron house to see if Junior was still there. Martin imagined a back-to-the-future scenario where the baby's picture would slowly fade out as Martin failed to sire him. And what if Billy? Certainly with the information in Pachaka's book, he could turn the tide of the Lincoln County War. In fact, Billy could change the outcomes of just about everyone in Lincoln County if he wanted to. Martin was vaguely aware of a concept called the butterfly effect, that posited a gentle flapping of a butterfly's wings in China would eventually disturb the air halfway around the world. 
If Billy made even one small change in the timeline of history, the results could be disastrous. Time and again, though, Martin's thoughts turned to Rosita. How such a beautiful woman, full of life, could somehow pick him, mystified Martin. They must have met before in some fold in time, as Rosita clearly knew him in the first instance he traveled back in time to 1878 Lincoln. In fact, everybody knew Martin, so he surmised that he had a much longer history in New Mexico than just two visits. If so, he wondered, why wasn't a Martin Teebs in the history books? All of the familiar names were in every single book he bought about the kid and the war. Scurlock, Folliard, French, Bowdry, Bonnie, and more. No, no Teebs, not even once. Unable to solve the puzzle at the moment, Martin was at least warned by the fact that he was sure, somehow, to have another visit to his new friends and love. There had to be some other point in time he was inserted into in order to meet and befriend Billy and to win Rosita's heart. He closed his eyes and let the cool air shower his forehead. In the twilight moments just before nodding off, he felt Rosita's hand slide under his. With a jolt, his eyes shot wide open, and he turned his head expectantly to his right, only to see the hand belong not to Rosita, but to his wife, Lily. His wife, he reminded himself firmly, the woman he married. Uh, I'm sorry, hon, did I wake you, Lily asked. Martin shook the century-old cobwebs from his brain before replying, No, no, I was just thinking of our trip. How nice of a time we had. Lily smiled a tight little smile. Uh, yes, it was fun. Now, back to the real world. Martin's sad smile caught Lily by surprise, so she let his hand go and picked up a magazine. Martin turned his head back to the cool air and allowed his mind to drift back to a time when he was something. A real man. A lover a father, a regulator. Chapter 42. Colin rushed into Martin's cubicle with a start. Marty, he exclaimed. What are you doing? At that moment, Teebs was thinking about his past in Lincoln, just as he did most every waking moment in the two weeks since he and Lily had returned. His fingers quickly slammed Bachaka's book closed. Martin had purchased another copy just days ago. Um, just working. What's up, Colin? said Teebs in a voice he wished had more enthusiasm. Colin eyed the now-familiar Billy the Kid book suspiciously, but decided it wasn't worth asking Martin what exactly he was working on. Hey, I'm applying for the new sales job. Did you see it? What do you think? gushed Colin. Sales job, said Martin. Don't know anything about it. Are you sure you want to be in sales, Colin? Colin looked slightly wounded by the question, so Teebs jumped back in. I mean, you've never done it. How do you know you like it? I don't, said the younger man. But if I want to move up and move out, this is the route to take me there. What about you, Marty? Are you going to apply? Teebs pondered the question. He'd spent 17 years in exactly the same job. In the same cubicle, in fact. While he had visions of grandeur when he was younger, now he just wanted to get a paycheck, go home, and dream about being a regulator. I don't think so, Colin. I, I kind of like my job. Besides... I bet there's lots of driving and sitting in traffic in the city. Colin shrugged his shoulders with a grin. Okay then, and yeah, I'll bet there's tons of traffic in L.A. The mention of Los Angeles caught Teebs off guard. L.A.? What do you mean? How's that happening? Colin was already dancing, lighter than air, back to his cubicle and muttered over his shoulder. We're opening a new West Coast office. Don't you read your email? Teebs sat for a moment, wondering how something so big had slipped past his radar. 
If he was being truthful, he knew he'd barely paid attention to his work over the past two weeks. It must have been announced while he was in New Mexico or shortly after he returned. His curiosity getting the better of him, he began to search his inbox and found the email hiding just below a survey the airline had sent him asking how his return flight was. Clicking on the email titled New West Coast Expansion brought Teebs to what seemed like an internal job posting. As he scoured it to see what important info he'd missed, his heart stopped beating momentarily and his breath became rapid and shallow. Just under the announcement, the posting read, West Coast Sales Territory, extensive travel to California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico. Teeb's eyes were transfixed by the tiny blinking cursor next to the words New Mexico. He'd spent the better part of his post-Lincoln time figuring out how he'd ever get back to set things right with Rosita and retrieve his book. Now, here, right before his eyes, was the answer. A sales trip that included New Mexico even once a month would allow him to fix the past and maybe his future. If the job demanded monthly trips, well, Martin could only imagine the possibilities. Sales, huh? He mused. While Martin had never sold a thing in his life, he'd gotten pretty good at negotiating for the players he wanted on his fantasy football team. If he could talk Colin out of Patrick Mahomes, he must have some powers of persuasion, he reasoned. Colin, Teebs muttered. What if he applied for the job and got it over his young friend? Colin seemed so excited by the prospect of a new job that Teebs couldn't bear to take it away from him. Colin had asked him if he was going to apply, however, so he must have at least entertained the thought that the two friends might compete for one job. Teebs looked out into the bullpen and saw Colin's head bobbing up and down, clearly excitedly talking to someone, probably about his upcoming interview. Realizing he had no better prospects to ever get back to New Mexico, Teebs quickly typed out an email to the human resources manager expressing his interest in the job and his confidence that he could be the best darn salesperson the company had ever seen. With a final glance at Colin, he hit the send key, opened Bachaka's book, and sighed with exhaustion, having just done more work in five minutes than he'd done in the past two weeks. Chapter 43 Lil! Lil, yelled Martin as he stampeded through the front door. With eyes alight and a menacing smile on his face, Martin could have been delivering good news or reenacting the shining. Talking to someone on the phone, Lily saw the look of excitement on her husband's face. Uh, Faith, let me go. Martin's home and he looks like he wants to talk. Mm, yeah, I'll call you next week. Bye, hon, said Lily as she gently replaced the phone. Okay, big boy, where's the fire, she said in good humor. Lil, you're not going to believe what I did, gushed Martin, unable to control himself. My company is opening a new office and they need a salesperson. I applied for the job. If a regular-sized feather had had a tiny baby feather and you cut that baby feather in half, it would have been enough to knock Lily Teebs over and place her flat on her back. In 17 years, not once did Martin ever express any interest in climbing the corporate ladder. She practically had to twist his arm to go and ask for his annual cost-of-living raise. To her, he seemed to be happily mired in mediocrity and would never change. The news, to say the least, was stunning. Sales, Martin? she questioned. Is that really what you want to do? Martin's face took on a look of hurt and Lily realized that she wasn't exactly being encouraging. I, I mean, sales, yeah, I could see that. Wow, to say I'm proud of you would be an understatement, said Lily. Thanks, Lil. 
I figured it's time to seek some other opportunities, and this sales thing would be a great fit, Martin confidently replied. With images of more money, trips to exotic places not named New Mexico, and maybe a new car in her head, Lily started to catch the same fever that engulfed her husband. So where would you be selling? In the city? Newark? Probably Connecticut too, she asked. Martin paused for a moment to get his nerve up before stating matter-of-factly, we're opening a new office in L.A., I would be the West Coast sales rep. California, Martin? What were you thinking? We live in New Jersey. Teebs knew he was on dangerous ground. He loved his wife and didn't want to lie to her. Before speaking, he estimated just how much he could bend the truth. Oh, well, most of these sales are probably over the phone or the internet or something, he lied. I probably wouldn't have to travel all that much anyway. Uh, Lil, and besides, I don't even have the job yet. A bit of concern washed away from Lily's face at the news. Martin felt like he dodged a major bullet and reasoned with himself that he really didn't know what the job entailed just yet anyway. Okay, said Lily, and besides, you don't even have the job yet, so let's just see what happens. Martin's good feelings had already returned as he danced his way toward the stairs. That's the magic word, Lil, yet, he exclaimed as he headed upstairs to dress down for dinner. Chapter 44 So, Martin, you've been with us for 17 years, said Randall Talbot, and all in the same job. Talbot was tasked with interviewing candidates for the new office in Los Angeles and seemed perplexed by the man sitting across the desk from him. That's rather unusual, he said, and paused before adding, we don't generally have anyone who stays in the same job for more than a few years. Sensing he might be failing the interview before it even got started, Martin reached for anything that would explain his near permanence in cubicle 31 over the past 17 years. Well, sir, he began, I love this company. In all the years I've been here, I just haven't found anything else that really fits me, Martin quickly added, uh, until this sales job, of course. Talbot looked warily at the big man trying to figure out what possibly motivated him to apply for a job on the other side of the country. You know, Martin, this job requires a lot of travel. L.A., Sacramento, Denver, Phoenix. You sure you're up for all of that? Somewhere in the back of Martin's mind, the wind blew a cloud of dust down Lincoln's main street. Through the dust strode Rosita, breasts heaving, hips swaying, biting her lip in hunger for the man she loved. Martin! exclaimed Talbot, shaking Teebs from his daydream. Did you hear what I said? Oh, yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Martin was embarrassed, but at least glad that Talbot wasn't able to read his thoughts. Sir, I, I, I love the West. I've been there, sir. In fact, in a way, I'm still there. Do you know what I mean, Mr. Talbot? Talbot hadn't the slightest damn idea what Martin Teebs was talking about and didn't pretend to. He looked over the rim of his glasses at Martin and wondered if the big man could sell ice water to a man dying of thirst. He asked a few more perfunctory questions that Martin gave very predictable answers to. Talbot had enough information to go on, so he moved to end the interview as quickly as possible. Thanks for coming in, Martin, said Talbot, quickly rising and shoving his hand toward Teebs. We'll uh, let you know. Teebs took the hint, and after a much too enthusiastic handshake, he started for the door. At the very last moment, some inner fire prompted him to turn around and state, I'm ready. I'm ready for this job, and I'm ready to make this company a lot of money, sir. To emphasize his point, Teebs threw both thumbs in the air and cocked his head to the side while smiling at Talbot. Talbot, 
Austin had to respond, reluctantly raised a single thumb and gave Teebs a rueful smile. With a shake of his head, he dismissed the big man. Well, that went pretty good, Teebs thought to himself as he settled into cubicle 31. He saw Colin bounding his way. Well, how'd it go? Did you get the job, Marty? asked Colin. Teebs, still in the throes of post-interview analysis, said, well, no, I mean, not yet. They still have interviews to do. Forcing the issue, Colin replied, yeah, but you're going to get it, right? You think so? Easy now, Colin. There's some tough competition, including you, offered Teebs. Oh, no. I pulled my hat out of the ring, Marty. I'm not interviewing for the job, said Colin. Teebs was surprised. He only learned about the job because of Colin's excitement in applying for it. Wait, what? Why? Colin shrugged and exhaled loudly. Have you ever been in sales, Marty? Teebs carefully shook his head no. It's all about the numbers, continued Colin. All day, every day, numbers, numbers, numbers. It's relentless. He never let up. Okay, snapped Teebs. I get it. The numbers count. I get it. Martin was worried he came on too strong, but Colin didn't seem to notice. Anyway, Marty, good luck. I hope you get it. I know you'll do great, gushed Colin, leaving Martin feeling more than a little guilty. Martin could only offer a weak smile as Colin shuffled back to his cubicle. What if he did get the job? How would he reach those numbers month after month after month? Remembering Talbot's strange look when he left, Martin was fairly certain he wouldn't be offered the job anyway. But what if he was? Chapter 45 One week later, Martin made his way out to his very sensible car, ready for another forgettable day at the office. As he slowly backed into the street, another car came screaming towards him, its occupant clearly late for whatever meaningful work they did for a living. At the last moment, Martin saw the car and jammed his brakes on, exclaiming loudly to no one, What the hell, man? The driver, indeed a man, slowed down and scowled with his pinched little face as Martin's blood ran cold. It was the guy from Lincoln, the other time traveler, Dolan's man. He was sure of it. The man reached over to manually roll down the non-powered windows on his aged sedan and sneered at Martin. What's your problem, baby wipe? Temporarily silenced by what he thought might be an insult, he finally regained his composure and responded, What's your problem? It's 25 miles an hour around here. The man laughed a derisive laugh and attempted to spit out the window at Martin, but the product only made it as far as the door sash, splashing down the side of his car. Shaking his head in disgust, Martin spoke again. Get out of the way. I've got to get to work. With that, the man revved his engine and took off like a rocket down the street. Not to be outdone, Martin floored it and took off after him. Both cars flew well above the speed limit as they approached the school zone. With the bright yellow 15-mile-per-hour sign blinking, the race continued, albeit at a much slower pace. Pulling up next to his rival, Martin yelled, "'What the hell is your problem?' to which the man quickly responded, I've got no problem, shortcake, but you have a big one, me. Martin was tempted to kick the cruise control up to 16 miles an hour, but the thought of a speeding ticket and rising insurance costs kept him in check. Both men wove their cars back and forth as if they were warming up their tires for the start of a NASCAR race. Just as they exited the school zone, they came upon a red light. The men, rivals now, in present and past, faced each other, neither seeming to want to talk about the very obvious elephant in the room. Listen, just stay the hell away from my... Martin paused as he wasn't sure what to call the regulators in Rosita. My friends, if you know what's good for you. Friends? (laughs) 
That's rich. Those worthless losers found the right guy when they took up with you, sneered Farber. And sensed that the insult to his newly found friends, Martin revved his engine in anger. Farber responded in kind with the distinct clicking of the valves, as is likely to happen to a 20-year-old sedan with over 200,000 miles. Best thing you can do, Twinkie, said Farber, is to stay away from me, because I, I am your worst nightmare. Teebs looked over at the faded paint on Martin's car, the spittle dripping down the passenger door, the sure-to-be members-only jacket he was wearing, and the pilling on his worn-out khakis and muttered, <laughs> well, I can't argue that. Just then the light turned green and Farber nailed the accelerator, making a quick left turn away from Teebs. In his haste and anger, Martin also stomped on the pedal, running right into the bumper of the chief of police of Waldwick, New Jersey. Chapter 46 Lil! Lil! I did it, Lil! I got the job! yelled Martin as he bound through the door that night. Not getting any response, he rushed into the kitchen, which was lit up as if Lily might be nearby. Lil? Lil? asked Martin, but the house offered no response. Deciding she must be upstairs, Martin trotted up the staircase and almost strode right by the extra bedroom, lit only by the light of Lily's laptop screen. Lil, I got the job, said Martin as he bounded through the door. Lily, lost in whatever she was doing on the computer, was shocked by Martin's sudden appearance and slammed the laptop screen down quickly as she composed herself. What? What did you say, Martin? Lil, I got the job. The sales job. I'm the new West Coast account manager. Martin's excited tone told Lily she needed to completely snap back to reality so she could show some support for her husband. Really? she asked. You really got it? Lily's tone was a bit too incredulous and it registered on Martin's face. Just as he was about to speak his disappointment, she quickly cut back in. I, I mean, of course you got it. Wow, that's incredible, Martin. I'm so proud of you. Martin's confidence was restored and he smiled a very satisfied smile. Yep, he said. I leave for training next week, a whole week in the L.A. office. He then remembered that Lily had warned him about the amount of travel, so he felt it important to add. That's okay, isn't it, Lil? Reasoning that with recent developments, it might not be so bad for Martin to be out of the house for a week, she enthusiastically replied, Sure. I mean, if you're going to be this big salesman, you need the training. I'll be fine here, hon. Super. I'm going to get changed. And hey, how about this? Martin Teebs, salesman extraordinaire, will make you dinner tonight offered Martin as condolence that Lily would be all alone and probably lonely for the following week. Lily smiled and gave him two thumbs up as Martin scooted out of the room. Processing the turn of events her life had just taken, she opened up the laptop and looked at the blinking chat box. The message from someone called Lincoln County, Dallas, 6969, read simply, What happened? Where did you go? Lily carefully typed her reply, you're not going to believe what he just did. Lincoln County, Dallas, 6969 replied simply, Tell me when I get up there. My flight arrives on Monday. My audition is Tuesday morning. And then added a bunch of silly, excited face emojis. Lily halfway smiled and felt a mixture of fear, excitement, and revulsion of what she was about to do. Again. Chapter 47 Martin sat quietly in his bedroom with a laptop and credit card at the ready. He was responsible for making his own travel reservations for his sales training the following week. He felt a twinge of guilt in telling Lily it was for a week, 
as his boss, Mr. Talbot, was clear it was only three days. Martin's plan was to fly to L.A. on Sunday night, attend the training until Wednesday, and then fly to Albuquerque on Wednesday night. After getting a solid night of sleep, he'd wake up early and drive to Lincoln bright and early Thursday morning. Talbot had gladly granted Martin two days of personal leave against the 127 or so he had accrued over the years. The plan, as it were, was to spend the rest of the week and Saturday in Lincoln. While Martin had no idea if he'd be able to slip back in time, he knew he must try. At the very least, he had to get his book back, but more importantly, he had to see Rosita again. The picture proved that she had a baby, Martin Jr. At some point, their relationship must be consummated, he reasoned. If Martin was being totally honest with himself, he missed Billy and the boys, too. He figured three days wasn't much, but it was all he could spare. He'd call Lily on Saturday morning and tell her his flight had been canceled, so he'd just catch a flight home on Sunday morning. A perfect plan. Perfect plan, Martin muttered to himself as his finger hovered over the cheery book it button. Perfect murderer, perfect adulterer, and liar is more like it. As disgusted as Martin was with himself, he felt that he'd started a chain reaction that he was no longer in control of. Rosita wanted him, and it had been far too long since he felt that from Lily. Billy and the regulators seemed to really need him, and no one except perhaps Collins seemed to really need him for anything nowadays. In Lincoln, New Mexico, 1878, Martin was in demand. In Waldwick, New Jersey in 2020, Martin was almost unknown. With thoughts of his woman and friends spinning in his head, Martin punched the return key on his new laptop and nodded his head with certainty that he'd done the right thing. Martin carefully closed the screen on the laptop and slid it into his briefcase. If he hurried, he could probably convince Lily to warm him a slice of apple pie with some ice cream to boot. Chapter 48 the tires on Martin's tiny rental car crunched loudly on the gravel driveway at Juan Patron's house, bed and breakfast. Martin had waited until he was out of town to reserve a room, hoping it wouldn't be sold out. He didn't want Dallas or Darlene calling his house to confirm a reservation and having Lily discover his plan. As the car slowed to a halt, he gratefully stepped out of the door and stretched mightily. He'd woken early and was on the road by 6 a.m. to avoid the infamous Albuquerque traffic which was generally one person driving 40 miles an hour in the left lane while looking up in the sky for hot air balloons, while 75 people raced bumper to bumper behind them, screaming, cursing, and guns waving. After three hours nonstop on the road, Martin was glad to finally be back in his home away from home. Hearing the arrival, Darlene Jones came walking down the steps with a big smile and open arms. "'Martin!' she exclaimed, pulling the big man into her ample bosom. "'So good to see you again.' Under any other circumstance, Martin would have questioned whether the woman was hitting on him, but he had eyes only for Rosita. Great seeing you too, Darlene, he said. Where's Dallas? In Texas, silly, she replied, having been set up for the joke at least a thousand times a year. No, she added. He's back now from some audition he had in New York on Monday. He'll be around before too long. The boomerang effect of the two men wasn't lost on Martin. While he flung from east coast to west this week, his inertia must have swung Dallas in the other direction. If Martin suspected anything else about Dallas, he certainly didn't show it. Martin, you're early, Darlene said warmly. I wasn't expecting you until around lunch. The people in the casita decided to stay an extra night, so I'm going to need some time to clean it up once they're out. Why don't you come inside for some breakfast? Looking around, Martin breathed in the fresh mountain air. 
His pulse was starting to race and he couldn't even imagine spending a moment more in the present than he had to. You know, I've been wanting to research a few more areas of town that I didn't get to last time. I think I'll just head out now and look around. Suit yourself, big boy, said Darlene as she scuttled back up the steps. Martin opened the trunk and carefully unpacked the clothes that Billy and Corbett had given him on his last trip. Since his room wasn't ready, Martin looked for a place to change. If he did find the portal back to 1878, he wanted to look the part rather than take the near-constant ribbing of Billy and the boys over his current day clothes. Martin walked down the quiet main street. Thursday morning in Lincoln, New Mexico in the year 2020 isn't exactly prime time. He saw a shopkeeper or two arranging their wares, but otherwise the town was quiet. He approached the Torreon with hopes that the door would be open so he could slip inside and change clothes, but was greeted with a padlock and a do-not-enter sign. Finally, Martin decided to just walk off into the trees near Bonito Creek and do the deed. Stripping down to his underwear, he felt what seemed to be a cold breeze blowing across his chest. Disoriented, he grabbed the tree, only to look up and see a young Mexican girl in a brightly colored dress staring at him. Caught literally with his pants down, Martin tempted a non-threatening smile, which clearly threatened the girl. She let out a shrill scream and ran toward the road as Martin quickly pulled on his wool pants along with shirt and vest and tossed his hat on for good measure. As he hurried away from the spot where the girl would surely bring an incensed father, Martin realized that the cool breeze had blown him all the way back to 1878. The dust-covered main street was mostly quiet, but unmistakably not designed for tractor trailers. He was back in Lincoln. He had arrived. Chapter 49 Without weapons and not knowing what had transpired since his last departure, Martin thought it prudent to stay mostly out of sight. He moved from building to building, carefully on the lookout for any Dolan men. While the town was clearly alive, there didn't seem to be any inkling of the raging Lincoln County War. In fact, the town seemed downright peaceful. Thinking his services as a regulator weren't currently needed, Martin made his way to Rosita's house. Climbing the two steps to the wooden porch, Martin slowly knocked on the door, almost breathless at the prospect of seeing Lincoln's most beautiful woman. Martin closed his eyes, and when he opened them, he was greeted by the cold barrel of a Winchester protruding from the door. Hey, 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 don't shoot, he yelled. In a flash, the barrel disappeared and the door swung open. Rosita Luna jumped into her lover's arms, burying her face in his chest. Martin, Martin, you are back, mi amor, gushed Rosita, her excitement at seeing Martin somehow even greater than his at seeing her. Their lips, once separated by over a century, now separated by mere inches, met hungrily as they kissed deeply. Martin swung her around on the porch before gently placing her down and guiding her inside. Where have you been, Martin? I've missed you so, so much, my love, asked Rosita. Unsure of how to answer with any sort of believability, Martin simply replied, I told you I would be back. I told you we belong together. Rosita sighed the way only a woman in love can as she beamed at the big man. What's with the rifle answering the door, by the way, Martin wanted to know. Oh, I thought you were that farder or barber or whatever that bastardo's name is. He came by here looking for you, telling me you're not coming back, telling me you're married and I should find a real man, said Rosita. Martin was incensed at the thought of anyone even coming near Rosita, and he reasoned that Farber must be the name of his drag race rival, as well as the New Jersey t-shirt-wearing member of Dolan's mob. Did he hurt you? Martin demanded, wringing his hands as if on Farber's neck. 
No, Martin. Belito was in town and chased him. I think that little farter might have wet his pants a little bit, laughed Rosita. Martin calmed slightly, knowing that his friend Billy would watch over his woman when he wasn't there. His friend. Billy the Kid, Martin thought. How in the hell did that happen? Even in his wildest dreams, he never imagined any of this, whatever this was. Say, where is Billy? I haven't seen any of the guys out there, asked Martin. Almost as if on cue, there was a sharp rap on the window pane, startling Teebs. He looked out to see Billy and Doc on horseback, waving for him to come out. Teebs pushed open the window. Hey, button up, lover boy, laughed Billy as Doc looked on with a smile. Hey guys, good to see you. What's up? asked the big man. We've got some important decision to make, Teebsy, said Doc. We need a ride out for Patricio. Come on, and bring your guns. Martin looked over at Rosita, whose concern was genuine and written all over her face. She clasped her hands firmly, but said nothing. Martin breathed in heavily the way you do when you're about to do something you've got to do, but probably shouldn't. All right, guys, give me just a minute to get ready, he said. Hey, Teebsy, shouted Billy. Don't worry none about Rosita. We got someone watching over her. She'll be just fine, my friend. Martin put his hat on, strapped on his gun belt, and walked over to Rosita, who appeared to be on the verge of tears. It'll be all right, he said as he kissed her gently. She reached her fingers up to stroke his face, knowing she could not keep him. Go, do this thing, she said. Then come back to me. Martin picked up his Winchester and walked out the door, where Doc held the reins to a horse already saddled for him. Not even knowing how he knew how to ride a horse, Teeb slung his leg over the saddle and the three men spurred their mounts to the east, out of Lincoln, heading for San Patricio. Chapter 50 That evening, the regulators, some of whom Martin had never met, although they seemed to know him, sat around a campfire in the hills above Patricio. With them was a slim man with a large oriental mustache and a starched white shirt that seemed well out of place in the current environs. Martin quickly came to realize this was Alexander McSween, a partner of Tunstall's and the heir apparent to his army. The men talked back and forth with some small arguments breaking out from time to time until Doc called the men to order. Listen up, he said. We've been chased out of Lincoln. Dolan and his boys ride the street without a care in the world. They'll tell anyone who listen we're yellow. Alex is living up here like some kind of rat, and they're setting up shop in John's store right now. The men howled in disapproval at the thought of Jimmy Dolan profiting in any way from the murder of their boss, John Tunstall. While McSween was the de facto leader of the ragtag group of men, he was ill-suited for the job. He hated violence and never carried a gun. McSween preferred to use the courts and the law to solve his problems, but recent events had shown him that a paper warrant was woefully inadequate at stopping bullets. He had fled Lincoln knowing that Dolan and his men were coming to finish him off, so they could have all of the economy of Lincoln for themselves. His wife Susan was squirreled away safely in a home in San Patricio, but even there McSween feared for his life. So he had taken to living with the boys out on the range, wearing a large Mexican sombrero to deal with the relentless New Mexico summer sun. In the end, it would be up to McSween as to what to do next, or at least to defer to someone with a stronger constitution to make that decision. As I see it, We've had three choices, shouted Doc over the commotion. We can stay up here hiding like sissies. The men's objections grew even louder. We can pull out and leave Lincoln County behind for good, he said, which was greeted by a chorus of boos, 
Or we can march back into Lincoln and fight those bastards till every last one of them is dead, yelled Doc, which produced a cheer you could probably hear all the way to Roswell. Alex, it's up to you. What do you want to do? asked Doc as McSween stared quietly into the flames. Finally, after a few moments, he started to speak, his voice rising in tempo and volume at each word. I want my house back. I want my wife back. And I want my life back. If they want to fight, let's give them one, screamed McSween to a cacophony of cheers, yells, and finally gunshots as the men declared their allegiance to McSween and their appetite to once and for all avenge the death of one John Henry Tunstall. Somewhere in the background, away from the flames, Martin sat quietly rubbing the stock of his rifle. He'd read all the books and he'd seen the movies. He knew it was July and he knew it was coming. The five-day battle of Lincoln was about to commence and the war would be coming to a swift and deadly conclusion. He thought about the many comments he'd read on the Billy the Kid message boards about how the war would have turned out differently if just one of the keyboard heroes had been allowed to participate. They expounded on tactics that would have turned the tide of the battle in the regulators' favor. They surmised that they could have won the war and vanquished the House of Murphy to a historical footnote, if only given one chance. Martin thought about Billy and about Bachaka's book. Surely Billy would have scanned the pages to find out how the battle unfolded. He must already know what fate McSween would face. Would this be the history-changing, defining moment when Martin's careless act of leaving his book in the past would actually change it? He glanced over to the young man whose back was to Martin. The firelight flickered, illuminating his silhouette. Martin saw the protruding ears and sloping shoulders, just like in the famous tintype, yet this Billy was a mere few feet away from him. What drove this young outlaw to act as he did? Hell, thought Martin. What drove him to care at all about Martin Teebs? They had so little in common, it was almost as if they were a different species. Billy was fun, jovial, full of life. His confidence was on display every time he opened his mouth. He seemed to fear dying not at all, yet had an incredible zest for life at the same time. Everything Billy was, Martin was not. Perhaps this was a classic case of opposites attracting reason, Martin. His mind twisted and turned, trying to make sense of the coming fight. If Billy did indeed intend to change the course of history, it would have to be now, he thought. What good would it be to have a book of your own future and not use it to save your friends? His head swooning, Martin turned off all such thoughts, fearing they might get him killed from the lack of attention to the task at hand. He vainly wished for his new company iPhone so that he could log on to the message boards and let the digital regulators know he was about to participate in the infamous five-day battle. Had he been able to, he knew he'd instantaneously get 15 comments telling him exactly what he should do and why he should do it, all conflicting with one another. Internet experts were many, but common sense among them was in short supply. He looked around the fire at the real regulators, real men who would fight and die for a cause they believed in. Martin suddenly felt very alone among the throngs of well-armed men. He wasn't really a regulator, just some modern-day schmo who somehow happened upon them. He smiled slightly, imagining that the keyboard warriors would be pissing their pants if they were in his place. The thought calmed him as he prepared for war. Martin realized he was about to get a front row seat to the most gruesome battle in the history of Lincoln, New Mexico. A number of these men were going to lose their lives, and he just hoped his life wasn't coming to the same tragic end.
Chapter 51 It was July and the living was easy. At least that's what the familiar refrain was for school teachers like Carl Farber. With two solid months off from teaching, Farber again scraped what money he could together and booked the cheapest economy flight he could to Albuquerque. It was July, and if his instincts were right, he'd be able to flip open the pages of his manuscript to July 1878 and wind up in the middle of Lincoln and in the middle of the five-day battle. Farber salivated at the chance to see that punk Billy and his prissy friends run for their lives out of the burning McSween house. He was even hopeful he might find a way to get in on the action. While his motives were simply to expose Billy for the coward he was, Farber wasn't completely against changing history. As his plane descended toward Albuquerque, he let the cool air wash over his receding hairline and blow his thoughts south toward the capital of Lincoln County. He had a date with destiny and a front row seat to see Billy mess his drawers as he ran and jumped into the Benito, desperately leaving his friends behind to die. Who knows, thought Farber. Maybe I can end that little bitch's life once and for all and save Garrett the trouble. Chapter 52 The heat coming off of the walls was unbearable to Martin Teebs. A fire roared in the kitchen and had been slowly spreading throughout Alexander McSween's U-shaped adobe all day. McSween's plan to take back his home and his life suddenly looked foolhardy. While the regulator forces numbered almost 60, they were spread throughout town. With around 20 in the McSween house, Dolan's forces pinned them down and then called Colonel Dudley from Fort Stanton to keep the peace and protect women and children. While Dudley's motives might have been pure, his placement of a powerful Gatling gun aimed straight at Martin and the rest of the regulators seemed less so. Early in the day, three men had made their way up from the Benito and after a number of tries, finally lit the kitchen of McSween's home on fire. Martin saw them retreating and was shocked to see none other than Carl Farber among them. Once Farber reached the tree line, he looked back, spied Martin, and flipped him the middle finger as he smiled malevolently. While Martin would have welcomed the opportunity to put a bullet in his rival, getting too close to the window might invite Dudley to rain hell from the Gatling gun upon the men in the house. With his mind swimming at the possibility of death, losing Rosita, and or burning alive, Martin could only truly focus on one thing. Five days, he fumed to himself. I've been in here for five days. Arriving on Thursday and storming Lincoln on Friday morning with Billy and the boys, Teebs understood the gravity of his situation. It was now Tuesday. He surely lost his job. Lily would have an all-points bulletin out for him and the detectives would easily track that he flew not to Newark, New Jersey after his sales training, but to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nice friggin' work, Martin, he chastised himself again. Killed a man, lost your job, cheated on your wife, lost that damn book, and now you're going to roast like a Thanksgiving turkey. Nice damn job. McSween had been sitting silently in the corner, accepting that this would likely be his last day on earth. He couldn't help noticing the big man next to him, seeming to come unhinged, wildly talking and gesticulating to himself. As a Christian, he figured he should at least provide what little comfort he could. Hey, uh, Martin. It is Martin, right? Asked McSween gently. Teeb snapped his head around, having almost forgotten that there were 20 other souls about to perish who could care less that he'd gotten a free bump to the mid-sized car at the airport. Huh? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, Martin Teebs, replied Martin. Listen, Martin, 
I appreciate you and all the guys coming back here. To be honest, this is a little more than I expected to happen, said McSween. As he absorbed the understatement of the year, Martin looked around at the glum faces. All glum except for Billy, who was excitedly gesturing to Doc, smiling his crooked smile the entire time. What's he so excited about? Dying? asked Martin as he gestured toward the young man. McSween couldn't come up with an answer as he thought of dying and leaving his wife Susan behind, and it was too much to bear. A few tears began to drop from the lawyer's eyes, making Martin feel bad for bringing it up. Billy strode up to Teebs and McSween and crouched down between the two men. Hey, Teebsy, said Billy as he patted Martin heartily on the back. You remember when you said you was willing to die with me? Martin did indeed remember that conversation, but was hoping he never had to pay off on the promise. Yeah, he ventured slowly and carefully. Well, you might just get your chance today, laughed the young outlaw. He's making a break for it as soon as it gets dark. Get your balls up, Teebsy. And Alex, you're coming too. Do whatever you want with your balls. Billy's joke made him laugh so hard he started to tear up as well, but for reasons far removed from McSween's. As Billy scooted away, Martin pondered his book. Clearly, Billy had not intervened in history yet. Everything about the five-day battle had played out exactly as history said it would, save for the fact that he and Farber were apparently there. Since neither a Martin Teebs nor Carl Farber appeared in any historical text of the Lincoln County War, Martin was less sure of what became of either of them. He looked sadly upon McSween, knowing that the man's fate had already been sealed. Martin only wished to be well clear of the house when McSween made his fateful pronouncement that he would never surrender. All right, listen up, yelled Doc over the crackling flames. When the sun gets out of sight, we're breaking out. We go out the back door, cross the yard, and get your ass to the Benito right quick, or they might shoot it off you. Billy, always appreciative of a good joke, or a bad one, laughed heartily again. Yeah, Doc, the boy yelled over the murmurs of the others. Let's get on out so we can get us a hot supper in Patricio. If we don't, we'll be the hot supper. Against the overwhelming odds, they would all die. Billy couldn't help but laugh again at his own joke. With the sun finally dropping in the western sky, the men lined up in groups of two or three. Always in the lead, regardless of whether he was the leader, Billy was willing to go first and draw the fire of Dudley and Dolan's boys. Martin and McSween stood last in line, with the flames now licking their boot tips. It was as if the fires of hell themselves had come to claim the men, and McSween carried a worried look. Finally, Doc gave the signal, and Billy and two of the men went fast and hard to the wall of the yard and over it into the Benito Creek. Nary a shot was fired, and Martin perked up. Perhaps the plan would work. Even without his trusty book, Teebs knew that McSween would die, but there was no book written about his own history, so the outcome wasn't at all certain. Doc and his men went next, again making it over the wall and into the creek. As the line inched forward, McSween's face became a terror and he pulled Martin close. Just before the Teebs group was going to make a run, McSween leaned in close. Martin, I'm going to give myself up. Fight this in the courts. You should too. At least we'll be alive, implored McSween. Remembering the woodcut picture in one of his books of McSween being cut down in a hail of bullets, Martin tried to choose the right words to dissuade Alex from his plan. Um, maybe let's go with plan number one. What you say, Alex, said Teebs. McSween's quickly shook his head. No, no, this is better. You have to trust me, Martin. This is going to work out just fine. Follow my lead. 
The confidence with which McSween spoke disarmed Martin. He reasoned that in history, he hadn't been in Lincoln, yet here he was. So things can change. Maybe Alex's plan would work. Maybe he should just follow his lead and see if he could find some other way to have Lily crucify him back in present day. As he played out on the possibilities, young Harvey Morris yelled out, Let's go! and ran quickly into the backyard. Without a thought, Martin and McSween followed just as a huge fireball erupted from the house, lighting up the backyard and all of its inhabitants. Dolan's men fired wildly into the crowd, dropping two men right at Teeb's feet. Young Morris laid near his boot, a gaping hole in his head where his right eye used to be. In the melee, Martin fully expected a forty-five slug to put him out of his misery in both present and future, but none came. After a few seconds, McSween threw up his hands and yelled, I am McSween, and I shall surrender. As if by magic, the shooting stopped. The quiet only broken by the sound of flames consuming what was left of the adobe and the soft groans of the dying Morris. Caught unaware, Martin slowly raised his hands too as McSween slowly craned his neck around to the big man. With a maniacal smile way too big for the situation, McSween, perhaps losing his grip on reality, whispered to Martin, Watch this. Turning his head back toward the street, he gave Martin one last glistening side-eye and loudly proclaimed, I shall never surrender. Get him, Martin! The volley of gunfire that erupted must surely have matched that of Pickett's charge as McSween was hit at least seven times. His body spun around from the impact to face Teebs, who looked horrified as the dying man fell into his arms. With a strange look of disappointment on his face, his eyes implored Teebs to lean in as he said in his dying breath, Martin, you really suck at this. More gunfire ranged from the street as Teebs used McSween's body as a human shield to get to the wall. Throwing the lawyer down in the spot where they would ultimately mark his grave alongside that of Tunstall, he slid over the wall and tumbled quickly into the creek. The sounds of flagging gunfire, flames, and cheers rang in his ears as he ran to the east to find Billy and the boys. Chapter 53 What was left of the regulators sat around a huge campfire in the hills above San Patricio. It was late, or maybe it was early the next morning, but no one could seem to tell. The men were dirty, hungry, bloody, and furious about McSween's murder. As Doc tried to get the men to quiet down so they could discuss what to do next, Martin made his way to the fire. His shirt was covered in Alex's blood, and he was muddy from slogging through the creek. Luckily, Billy had sent a few of the boys back to help whoever else made it out of the house and get a mount to get the hell out of Lincoln. While Martin had been a first-hand witness to Brady's execution— and had himself blown out the brains of Matthews all the way to Tularosa, he'd never been as up close and personal to death as he was with McSween. Despite Alex's odd choice of strategy, Martin still felt bad he didn't perform better when the heat was on. Come on, Teebsy. Sit right here at the fire, urged Billy. Teebs sighed heavily and stepped between Doc and Billy, settling down on a log. This man right here, said Billy, clapping Teebs on the back, is a real warrior. You there trying to fight off that mob and save Alex? That's some stuff of legend, Teebsy. Doc assented. That's right, a real regulator. Cheers came from around the fire as Teebs saw many of the familiar faces he'd only heretofore seen in books. There was the slim-faced Charlie Bowdry, tall, lanky Tom Folliard, the Coe brothers, and more. 
Martin was struck by the fact that no one seemed to know that he was about to surrender and hadn't as much drawn his gun. The cheering went on as men looked admiringly at him. Martin started turning red from embarrassment, knowing if they knew the real truth, they'd probably have left him to die in Lincoln. Just then, two horses came trotting up the hill. Billy, always the good friend, had seen to it that someone went to fetch Rosita. As she approached the fire, she saw Martin covered in mud and blood, but obviously alive. She let out a slight gasp and quickly slid from the horse, running into Martin's arms. Martin! Oh, Martin, you are alive! she cried and sobbed into his shirt. I was so worried when I saw Mr. McSween surrender, and when you put your hands up. Before she could finish, Martin whisked her away from the regulators with a loud, Whoa! I'm fine! Knowing she was about to spill the secret that wasn't going to ingratiate him with his friends, he quickly pulled her toward a large tree where he carefully sat her down. The men quickly lost interest in the spectacle and went back to their discussion. Only Billy gave one last, long, questioning glance back. Oh, Martine, you are safe. I was so scared you would be dead, she sniffed through her tears. Martin wrapped his arms tightly around this woman that for some reason had grown to love him. He felt, at the moment, fiercely protective of her and as in love as he'd ever felt before with anyone in his life. I'm fine, Rosita, I'm fine, he gently replied as he stroked a wisp of hair from her face. No more fighting, please, Martine, the raven-haired beauty asked. Mr. McSween is dead. There's nothing more to fight for, see? While Martin knew from history she was right, he also knew he was living in some slightly altered version of history. He wanted to be truthful with Rosita, but he wasn't sure he could. Finally, he decided that while the fighting might go on somehow, he wanted to be done with it. He'd tasted enough bloodshed and death to last a lifetime, as well as the one he was living in over a century in the future. No more fighting, my love, he said. I just want to stay with you. Oh, Martine, this makes me so happy. Now we can live here together, see? Forever, por siempre, she whispered softly into the night. For once, Martin didn't have to choose his words. This felt right. This was the man he always imagined he could be. He offered, yes, Rosita, there's nothing more in the world that I would like to do. His words seemed to melt Rosita as she turned into him, and their lips greeted in a long, deep kiss. He felt an insistence in her movements that he hadn't felt before. She pushed him firmly back against the tree and deftly removed his gun belt. Somewhere in the back of Martin's brain, he remembered Lily, but she seemed another world and another lifetime away. Rosita tugged at the buttons on Martin's pants as he slid his hands under her skirt and up to her thighs. Rosita let out a soft moan as she slid higher on her lover's body and allowed him to lose himself inside of her. As they consummated their love, Martin Teebs officially became an adulterer almost a hundred years before he was even born. Chapter 54 The rising sun cut through whatever meager shade the tree limbs provided, waking Martin from a very sound sleep. He stiffly moved his neck from side to side to get his bearings and immediately looked for Rosita. There was no sign of her, nor is there any sign of the regulators. For that matter, there was no sign of a campfire, logs to sit on, whiskey bottles, or anything else that might prove to him he was even in the same place as he fell asleep. Martin groaned as he willed himself up from the dirt. Everything around him looked the same, yet different. His mind was having trouble understanding what had happened until he heard the unmistakable sound of a jake break on a tractor trailer roaring up US-70. He was back. 
and he was gone, all at the same time. A heavy weight hung on Martin's heart as he only wished he could somehow will himself back in time to be with Rosita. Billy and the boys had stopped making fun of him and now saw him as one of their own. In Lincoln, 1878, he was someone, a person to be reckoned with, a man in love, and a man that just might have impregnated the woman who yearned only to be with him. Martin sighed and began walking down toward the road. Having lost yet another day to the past, he realized that aside from an all-points bulletin, Lily most likely had a private detective looking for him, too. He wondered if Mr. Talbot would even listen to any explanation of why he never returned to work. He vaguely crafted a tale where he hit his head at the B&B and was lost in a fog of amnesia for a few days. But the story was so lame, he'd be embarrassed to tell it. Walking to the road, Martin simply decided he was going to have to take his medicine. Lily would get the house. Martin would have some crappy one-bedroom apartment. He'd at least have time with his books and movies to really immerse himself in the past. Maybe he could find a way to get back to 1878 and to Rosita. While he tried to cheer himself up with chipper thoughts, deep down Martin knew his life was about to implode. Catching another truck roaring down the highway, Martin stuck out his thumb, and to his surprise, the truck stopped. The driver looked at his clothes and his blood-stained shirt warily, but smiled with the one good tooth he had left and told Martin to hop in. Making their way to Lincoln, Martin asked to be dropped by the side of the road near the old cemetery. There'd be no one around at this time of morning, and he hoped, at least that his modern-day clothes were near to the tree where he left them. Mr. One-Tooth gave him a wave and nod and blasted Martin with a jet-black stream of diesel smoke as he made his way west. Trekking to where he remembered his clothes being, he searched only for a few moments before finding them, in much better shape than he assumed they would be after sitting in the elements for six days. Martin quickly dressed and began walking toward the Patron house to answer the many questions he knew would be waiting for him. As his sneakers crunched on the gravel driveway, Darlene came flitting out of the house, waving at him insistently. Her breasts threatened to escape the flimsy bond of her tank top with each bounding step. Here we go, Martin, he said to himself. Martin, hey, there you are, came the warm greeting from his hostess. That group left before breakfast, so I just cleaned up real quick and put your bag in the casita. Stunned and not understanding what was happening, Martin could only manage a befuddled, huh, to Darlene? Your stuff, it's in the casita, hun. You can go ahead and settle in, said Darlene. Martin swung his head from side to side, still trying to find out where the hidden camera must be. What day is this, he asked carefully. Martin, have you been working too hard? Maybe that sales job is too much for you, joked Darlene. Why, it's Thursday, dear. You've got about an hour to relax before lunch is ready, okay? Thursday? Martin couldn't believe it. This had to be some kind of joke. Could it be that he spent six days in 1878 and only a couple of hours had passed in real time? No losing his job, no explaining to Lily, no crappy apartment. What luck, he thought. Um, yeah, that sounds great, Darlene. I just kind of lost myself out there doing research is all, he assured her as she smiled and made her way back to the main house. Martin Teebs, you lucky son of a bitch, Martin said to himself. You skated by on this one. Teebs breathed a huge sigh of relief and made his way to the casita to wash what was left of McSween and Rosita off of himself. Chapter 55 Teebs spent most of the rest of Thursday in his room reliving the incredible events of the day, 
or the five days that he had just lived through. On Friday, he cautiously emerged from his casita and carefully checked what century he was in. Satisfied that he was in present day, he walked toward the main Patron house, only to be greeted by the thousand-megawatt smile of one Dallas Jones. "'Hey, Martin, good to see you, buddy,' boomed the actor-turned-B&B proprietor. "'Darlene told me you were back in town.' Martin inspected the man from his glowing white teeth to his chiseled pecs, and finally to his boots. "'This guy had it all put together,' Martin thought to himself. "'Hey, Dallas, good to see you again,' said Martin as he stuck out his hand. "'How'd the audition go?' Temporarily surprised that Martin knew he had been back east, Dallas recovered enough to answer, It was a guest role on some soap opera thing. I'm not sure I'll get it, but I should know in a few days. So, just in and out of New York then? asked Martin genuinely. Uh, yep, replied Dallas. There was a lot of in and out, for sure. Dallas seemed to laugh way too hard at his own joke, but Martin didn't comprehend why. He looked carefully at his host, trying to figure out how to, or even if to, continue this conversation. Never one to let a silent moment exist, Dallas piped right back up. So, what brought you back? You missed me, didn't you, joked Dallas. Uh, sure, kind of. Well, I did miss Lincoln, replied Teebs, not wanting to hurt the man's feelings, and not entirely sure the question had been a joke. Hey, Dallas, can I ask you something? Sure, hombre, shoot. Did you ever feel like, out of place... I mean, were you ever in a place that was fine, but suddenly it didn't feel fine anymore? And then there's this other place that's new to you, but you feel right at home. Is this making any sense at all, asked Martin. Dallas studied Martin's face, making sure the big man was actually talking about a geographic place and not something like, perhaps, mm, Lily? Sure do, came the reply. When Darlene and I moved out here from L.A., it was after us only spending a few days in Lincoln. We just fell in love with the place and the people and decided this felt more like home than Callie ever did. Martin digested the visions of Dallas cruising around in his Porsche on Mulholland Drive while his teeth outshone the sun. Yeah, I guess something just drew me here. Once I got here, I felt like I'd been here for a hundred years, said Teebs, partly to Dallas, but mostly to himself. Well, our door is always open to you, Martin. Next time, bring Lily too, huh? said Dallas as he popped Martin lightly on the shoulder and bounded into the house. Martin's current desire didn't have anything to do with Lily, however. His clean and clear memory from just the day before was of making love to Rosita, and it throbbed at his brain. He wondered if she was already pregnant, as they'd only done it that one time. They must have had more time together since Martin had spent ten years trying to get Lily pregnant with no good result. Lily, his wife. The thought pushed into his brain and demanded Rosita move aside temporarily. What was he doing? He had just committed adultery with a woman who was born well over a hundred years before his wife. He couldn't seem to make sense of that fact and wondered if he was truly guilty of any infraction. Martin and Lily started out with a good, solid marriage, but time and tide had chipped away at the romance. Martin knew he was mostly to blame. His recent parole from this 17-year sentence in a bare cubicle only highlighted the fact that he was far from a go-getter and probably wasn't the type of man that Lily hoped he'd be. Lily was in a league, or perhaps even two, above Martin as well. Beautiful, smart, driven, those qualities made Martin want to be a better man when they were younger, but recently made him feel he'd never measure up, so what would even be the use in trying? Kids? Sure. 
At some point, they both wanted kids, but as their 30s faded into their 40s, it was too late. They both decided while sitting around the dining table one evening that it was time to give up the ghost. Neither of them wanted to bring up a screaming newborn into the quiet they'd created in their home. Martin for sure didn't want to be a 60-something-year-old dad using his walker with tennis balls on the leg to attend his son's high school graduation. So the rule of the day during the very infrequent lovemaking sessions they had was that condoms would always be used, just in case. Martin sometimes felt angry at the little foil packs, thinking that if he and Lily hadn't gotten pregnant by now, it was surely not going to happen, no matter what. Still, he went along because on most things, he felt Lily was right. Even if she wasn't, she could usually force Martin into making the decisions that she wanted, the trip to Lincoln excluded. Kids, he thought. At this very moment, in a fold in time 140 or so years away, Rosita Luna might be carrying Martin Jr. He'd seen the picture, so he knew it was true. A son, thought Martin, and a junior to boot. The thought of the boy was almost as exciting as the thought of bedding down with Rosita again. Before he knew it, something in Martin's crotch stirred and prompted him to get up. With a deep sigh, he walked into town, hoping to find some reliable portal back to 1878. He knew Rosita would be waiting for him, and he knew that he liked that idea. Hour after hour passed as Martin walked around buildings, bumped into trees, quickly turned around to see if he could spin himself back in time, but all to no avail. By 2 p.m., he had to admit that he was hungry and started trudging back toward Patron's. Along the way, he decided that he'd had enough action for one trip. He'd call the airline and see if he could fly home tomorrow, which would save him the lie of telling Lily his non-existent flight had been canceled. A sense of calm came over him in indescribable fashion. Somehow, Martin knew he'd be back in Lincoln and they would once again see Rosita. He knew now that 1878 wasn't going anywhere and that he should spend some time shoring up his marriage before he went any further and weakened it. He walked up the stairs and into his casita, picked up the phone, and booked himself on the first flight back to Newark the next morning. Chapter 56 The Albuquerque Sunport was bustling on this early July Saturday morning. While Tebes expected a quiet hour or two before his flight boarded, he was thrust into a whirlwind of crowds, crying babies, service dogs, and restaurants serving basically everything with something called green chili on top. As he made his way to the gate, he looked in vain for an empty seat. People were lying on the floor and standing against the wall. Just as he was about to give up, an Asian couple grabbed their bags, realizing they were at the wrong gate, as their flight had called the final boarding call. Settling heavily down in the now warm seat, Martin didn't notice someone else making their way down the aisle to claim the other one. He looked up and couldn't help himself. Oh no, he said to a smiling Carl Farber. You? You have to sit here? Go sit somewhere else, would you? Farber grinned an idiotic grin before saying, Hey, Pop-Tart, fancy seeing you here. Martin fumed as Farber adjusted himself in the chair. Now he was stuck for an hour next to his arch enemy and wondered whether to argue with him or try the silent treatment. Farber didn't wait to find out Martin's next move. Hey, do your armpits get cold from the draft when you're standing with your hands up next to that dumb lawyer, teased Farber? Incensed, Martin fired back in an angry whisper. What the hell is wrong with you? Men died out there. You think this is funny? Hey, replied Farber, I didn't change history. I just watched it go down. Just like that lawyer. 
Barbara laughed mightily at the joke as Martin stewed. Finally, Teebs decided he'd rather stand than sit next to the vile piece of crap he judged Farber to be. As he began to gather his things, Farber grabbed his arm. Hey, hey, wait, I'm, I'm just kidding. Come on. We don't have to be enemies here, too, do we? Teebs glared at Farber and at the completely full seating area and decided he had no choice but to coexist for an hour. So, Twinkledink, how are you liking old Lincoln, asked Farber. Twinkledink? Are these even insults? Where do you get these things, asked Teebs with enough condescension that it put Farber on guard. I'm a high school history teacher, shot back Farber. I hear the kids all day. I guess I just picked up a few, okay? Mr. Rogers? Teebs mouthed the words Mr. Rogers and shook his head. He was almost feeling sorry that, at least in a battle of words, Farber would very likely fall quicker than McSween did. The thought that he could certainly beat Farber at something abated his anger just a bit. There was one burning question that Martin was dying to ask Farber, being as they were probably the only two people at the Sunport that were traveling back and forth in time, Martin decided it might be now or never. Hey, can I ask you a question, he said cautiously. Sure, doggy style, no doubt, doggy style, came the satisfied reply from Farber. Teebs was exasperated how unlikable the man was. Not that, you moron, Martin barked at him. Farber looked slightly wounded, offering, okay, what then? How do you, you know, Teebs hesitated because the question sounded so stupid. Go back in time. Like, how does it work for you? Farber looked straight at Teebs and said, I just opened my book to the page and time I want and I'm there. Why? How do you do it? Teebs hesitated but figured he wasn't giving away any family secrets. Well, sometimes it's a cold breeze or a fog that blows through. One time I had to get hit by a car. Another time I got run off the road by a truck. It's always something different. Oh boy, you watch too much TV, dude. That car thing was classic, though, said Farber, while smiling a pinched smile. Curious if Farber's choice of book might help him be more regular in his time travels, he inquired, What book is it that you use? Farber reached into his bag and hauled out a copy of the manuscript. He tossed it heavily on Teeb's lap. When Martin read the title, he exploded. Coward of Lincoln County? Are you kidding me? You're writing this piece of shit, demanded Teebs. I'm setting the record straight. So yeah, read it and weep, TikTok, smirked Farber. Tempted to see if Farber had written about him in the book, he decided not to give him the satisfaction of even looking. Billy's more of a man at 18 years old than you are at what? 80, said Martin as he threw the manuscript and the insult back in Farber's lap. Oh, screw you, porcupine. You saw that coward run and leave your lawyer friend to be shot up like Swiss cheese. He probably left you too. Face it, he's a coward, and you're a fool for following him, exclaimed Farber. Martin stood in silence for a few moments and finally spoke. Let me know when your book comes out. I'll buy a few copies to wipe my ass with. Farber shoved the manuscript back in his bag, wondering if the verbal gunfight would continue. Teeb spied a child getting up and walking away from a seat nearby. Go, there, he said. Get the hell away from me. And stay the hell away from my friends. Farber began to form a response, but people were starting to look at the two men arguing, and he decided to end today's match, calling it a draw. With a last parting look at Martin, he dragged his bags over next to a very large woman eating a green chili burrito. Farber only hoped they wouldn't be seated together when the burrito made its inevitable exit later in that day. Chapter 57. 
Lily was pleasantly surprised to see Martin a few hours sooner than expected. If she was suspicious of his travel or what he'd done, she certainly didn't show it, planting a deep, wet kiss on him as he walked in the door. Hey, babe, she exclaimed as she hugged the big man tightly. How was the trip? Martin, taken aback at a show of affection from Lily he hadn't seen in a decade, cautiously shot back. It was good, learned a lot. I think I'll like this sales thing. Lily held him for a moment longer before letting him go with a big smile. My big, sexy salesman, she purred. It's so good to have you back. Martin's brain attempted to make sense of this new, improved Lily. Why is she so revved up, he wondered. What did he miss that turned the clock back on their stale marriage? Before he could even consider asking how her week was, she blurted out, I made your favorite, pot roast. It's a welcome home to my new executive. Lily gave Martin one more hug, and he suddenly felt very dirty. The fact that he had sex with another woman just two days ago left him feeling like he should shower and maybe burn his clothes. His guilt washed over him like an ocean wave, so he quickly extricated himself and told Lily, I'm going to shower up, hun, that airplane area, you know, when's dinner? You've got 30 minutes, tiger. Don't keep mama waiting, she said as she slapped Martin solidly on the ass and smiled on her way out of the room. A week ago, most people barely noticed Martin, no matter how big the crowd. Now suddenly he seemed in demand by women both past and present. First Rosita and now Lily. Hell, thought Martin. He could probably get Darlene Jones now with his newfound gravitas if he wanted. This must be what movie stars feel like, he thought. The turn of fate confused him and even scared him a little, but he decided the best course of action was just to go with it. The shower's warm water washed any thoughts of Rosita away, at least temporarily. With visions of pot roast and fingerling potatoes dancing in his head, Martin Teebs dried off, dressed, and descended the stairs to dine with his newly turned-on wife. Chapter 58 Full of pot roast, potatoes, and cherry pie, Martin dressed for bed in his sensible pajamas. Lily had retired to the ensuite thirty minutes prior, most likely for a bath, reasoned Martin. The day had been long, and he plopped heavily into bed, his eyes heavy, but his mind racing. His duel with Farber only solidified his disdain for the man. Martin hated the fact that Farber could also travel in time, and seemingly without all the machinations that Martin had to try in order to escape the present. He also hated the book. Martin knew Billy had his faults, but one of them most certainly wasn't being a coward. Billy stood tall and brave in the face of danger. If he was guilty of anything, it was of being a teenager who let his whim and whimsy be dictated by hormones in whichever way the wind blew that day. Thoughts of Rosita entered Martin's mind, but he quickly pushed them away. He couldn't be here lying next to Lily tonight, thinking about his lover from the past. It felt like cheating. Martin ruefully smiled to himself that merely thinking about Rosita felt like cheating, while he had no such reservations lying under a tree and making love to her just a few days ago. Just as Martin was about to give himself a mental lashing, the bathroom door swung open. Out poured Lily in a black lace teddy with thigh-high stockings and the highest heels Martin had ever seen in his house. Oh my, whispered Martin. Hey, big boy, teased Lily as she traced her fingers around both of her ample breasts. Still shocked, Martin couldn't help musing, would you look at that? Lily clearly had gotten the reaction she wanted. Martin's mouth hung slightly open and his eyes seemed glazed but transfixed on her body. Yes, look at that, she said, pointing to one breast. 
And look at this, she said, pointing to the other. Martin was suddenly finding it hard to breathe. His pulse was racing, and he had to take a few deep breaths to slow it down. And, Lily continued, when you're done with those, you can look at this, she murmured, pointing at the dark triangle of lace that greeted the tops of the insides of both of her thighs. This was a Lily that Martin hadn't known in years. In fact, Martin quickly scanned his mental memory banks and decided he'd never known this Lily at all. The closest thing to a wild time he could remember was the quickie they had in college while Lily stood leaning against her faded pale blue sedan in a Burger Chief parking lot. Martin just stared, wondering if this was really happening. Luckily, Lily cut his weight short by turning off the lamp and climbing on top of the big man in their king-sized bed. The swish of sheets and clothes made for pleasant background music as Lily's breathy whispers and Martin's groans began to build. Suddenly, the light snapped on, Martin's face in a ball of confusion. Was it over? What did he do wrong? Lily leaned over and pulled out the nightstand drawer, deftly plucking a gold-foiled condom from the box inside of it. Martin's face began to fall, thinking that this one time he might be allowed to perform au naturel. This time, every time, remember Martin? Said the now sensible Lily that Martin had grown to know and like. We're too old for kids, she said, handing him the condom with a firm nod of her head. As much as he resented the tiny latex raincoat for ruining his fun, he grabbed it quickly and put it on before his excitement faded. Satisfied that the action could resume, Lily leaned forward and kissed Martin heavily, dragging her breast across his face as she reached to turn the lamp off. Darkness and pleasure enveloping them, they each drifted off to their own little mental world. In Martin's mind, and behind his closed eyes, this was Rosita rocking her hips on top of him. He could practically smell the unique smells of Lincoln as he responded in kind. He grabbed her arms and pulled himself deeper into her. Behind Lily's veil of darkness, she imagined Dallas, he of the rock-hard pecs, among other things, his shining smile cutting through the darkness. She rode harder and faster than she ever had before, intent on giving him the pleasure he was most surely missing from his wife Darlene. Both in their own reality, Martin and Lily made love to their virtual power moors. As Martin approached what would be his limit for the night, he swung his hand to the side, knocking the lamp from the table. Both lovers, surprised by the sound, opened their eyes simultaneously, only to rudely find they weren't in bed with their New Mexico partners, but in fact with each other. There was an audible and surprised, huh? from both of them as they tried to avoid each other's gaze in the dark room. The mojo lost, Lily kissed Martin lightly on the forehead and slid off of him, saying simply, You've had a long day and I'm tired. Without the slightest protest, Martin climbed out of bed, headed to the bathroom to fix himself. He waited long enough for Lily to be asleep before he crept back into the room and quietly slipped under the covers. Chapter 59 It was Monday morning and Martin was back on the job, his new job, from his old cubicle. Now, instead of the sterile environment he'd always been in, there were stacks of papers, reports, charts, and graphs all around him. Walking quickly across the office, Colin couldn't wait to hear how much Martin hated his sales training trip. Marty, said the chipper Colin, how was the trip? After everything that had happened in the past few weeks, Martin was glad to see and talk to Colin. He represented a simpler time in life when Farber didn't exist. He hadn't killed a sheriff's deputy, and he wasn't cheating on his wife. He studied the tall, lanky young man, trying to determine if he'd have been any good as a regulator. 
Colin was always good-natured, and his energy seemed to boost Martin during any of his dark periods. He was also a loyal friend, a fact which Martin both appreciated and felt guilty about due to his preoccupations with all things Billy in New Mexico. He looked at Colin's hands, baby soft and with nary a callus from any type of manual labor. Could he shoot, wondered Martin? He decided that shooting was a skill, one that somehow and somewhere Martin had learned, and as such, Colin surely would be able to master as well. With Colin's wide eyes and good nature, Martin decided he could, in fact, be a regulator. The more he thought about it, the more he realized Colin would likely fit in with Billy and the boys a lot more than he would. Martin saw in him many of the same qualities he saw in Billy and decided that if Colin ever found a fold in time, taking him back to 1878, he and Billy would probably become fast friends. Hey, Colin, good to see you, buddy, said Martin as he gave Colin a gentle punch in the arm. It was good. I learned a lot. Can't wait to put it into action. Colin peppered Martin with more questions about the travel, types of hotels he stayed in, and if he thought he'd ever move out to California. The enjoyable banter between the two men was cut short as Talbot walked up with intent, clearly needing to speak to Martin. Uh, I'll get you those reports in a minute, Colin, said Martin, covering for his friend who walked quickly away. Martin, I heard things went well in L.A. last week. Good job, said Talbot. Before Martin could even squeeze out a thank you, Talbot jumped back in and continued, Listen, we got a problem with the Murphy account. I need you back out there next week. Take a few extra days and see some other prospects while you're there. Yes, sir, replied Martin. If he was going to add anything, the moment was lost as Talbot turned to walk away. Almost out of range, he turned back to Martin and said through a half-smile, Uh, Martin, book yourself in business class on this one. You've earned it. And with that, Talbot was gone, and Martin was left with the problematic Murphy account. The coincidence was not lost on him. Murphy and Dolan had started the Lincoln County War by killing John Tunstall, and now Martin was being summoned to fix another Murphy problem. He quickly thought through his strategy and decided that ambushing anyone with the last name of Brady would be out of the question. Back to the West Coast so soon, thought Martin. He had to find a way to stretch his trip by a day or two. He had to see Rosita. He had to, even if he hadn't already, finish the job of creating Little Martin Jr. With great disparity in how time seemed to elapse, perhaps he could spend a week with Rosita. Maybe a month. Hell, maybe a lifetime. Martin's head was spinning as he looked over to see Colin giving him an air high five at his recent promotion to business class. Chapter 60. That night after dinner, Martin loaded the dishwasher as Lily puttered around, putting leftovers away. He still hadn't told her about his upcoming trip, following so soon the heels of the last one. Martin knew that he had to book his travel that evening, so he decided on a strategy. He'd sit with his laptop and pretend he'd just got an email from his boss, telling him of the need to fly to L.A. That way, he and Lily could both be surprised and angry together which might buy Martin a pass from getting a lecture on how much travel his new job was going to require. Settling down on the couch, he waited for Lily to walk in before he loudly exclaimed, Oh! and clicked his tongue to the roof of his mouth. What? What's wrong, Martin? asked the chipper as ever Lily. Oh, Talbot emailed me. We've got problems with the Murphy account in L.A. He wants me out there next week. Martin feigned a bit of anger, trying to lure Lily into feeling sorry for him. Amazingly, she didn't seem the least bit upset by the news. She sat next to him and cuddled in closely. Ooh, she purred. My big strong salesman has to go to L.A. You must be good at this, Martin. 
Figuring he was in the clear, Martin couldn't resist adding another layer just to show how much he really didn't want to go. He says to book myself in business class on this trip, so that's something, I guess, he said with a dismissive wave of his hand. Ooh, business class, that turns me on, cooed Lily as she buried her tongue in Martin's ear. Shocked by the response in Lily's tongue, he inquired incredulously, Business class turns you on? Mm-hmm, said Lily between licks. Meet me upstairs in ten minutes, Mr. Teebs. I've got something to show you. Her wicked smile convinced Martin it wasn't some two-for-one deal on body wash from Target. Lily left as Martin pecked away at the keyboard, routing himself through Albuquerque once again on the way home. At least he'd have a day or two to get back to 1878, if the elements would just cooperate with him. Just before he hit book this trip, he remembered Talbot's missive and changed his flight to business class. Martin made a mental note that he probably needed a new suit or jacket. His business wardrobe was dated, and he didn't want to stick out like a sore thumb in L.A., like he did when he first met Billy and the boys in Lincoln. He wondered how the Murphy account would react if he showed up in his black frock coat and with his colt strapped to his hip and Winchester in hand. They can't handle the truth, Martin said to himself, aping his favorite Jack Nicholson line from A Few Good Men. Closing the laptop, he made his way to the stairs. Just before turning off the lights on the ground floor, he swore he heard an electric buzz of a massager of some sort that he never knew they had, and a few moans coming from the bedroom Lily must surely be waiting for him in.